All right, so Armor of God, part six, take up his sword is what I titled the message. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter six. Uh, today we're going to move a little faster because we do have a lot of stuff to move and pack up a U-Haul truck and take it over to a new place where we're going to be, but uh, we'll talk about that later. So, all right, take up his sword, and this is uh, the part six of this series. So this is going to be the last part of this series. We'll start a new series next week called Bless This Home, and uh, super excited about that series. Trust that God's got a great teaching and word for us there, but... All right, so if you have your notes, you know, I don't, oh, I didn't give you fill-in-the-blanks. They're in my backpack. Sorry about that. There are, there are fill-in-the-blank notes in my backpack. If you want to grab them out, you can, and then hand them out to everybody in the audience. There's plenty of them. Thank you so much. I see the people just moving to make that happen. So there's, there's a lot of notes in there. And so uh, I'd like for you to have notes because it allows you to hear from God, write down maybe what God is speaking to you. And so anyways, they'll pass those out to you. All right, so um, take up his sword, part six of this series. All right, we're going to read the verse. We've been reading this verse uh, throughout the whole series, so we're going to do the same thing. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. All right, verse 13. Are you with me, church? All right. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, that's been really, really important, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. So Paul is writing about all of this and he's saying, hey, so you can stand your ground when the day of evil comes. Here's what you need to do. Verse 14, he says, stand firm with the belt of truth, buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness. We've talked about that. The feet fitted for the readiness that comes from the gospel of feet. So he talks about these first three pieces. We've, we've talked about that. And then he goes on to say additional pieces. Take up the shield of faith, the salvation, the helmet of salvation. And he goes on to say the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All right. So he says, you got to have these first three pieces. These are the three pieces that are with you at all times, truth, righteousness, and peace. But then you got to take up these certain pieces, which is you got to raise up or take a hold of or put these out when you need them or kind of take a hold of them when you need them, faith and salvation. We talked about that. And then today, of course, is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. So, so far, every piece of equipment that Paul has mentioned is used for protection. Do you see that? That's important to understand. He's talking about truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation. These are things that are protecting you, not things you fight with. But here, Paul says, but now I'm going to give you the one weapon you need to go on offense. So there's only one thing that you need to utilize in order to attack or to go on offense against who? Who's the attack against? Not flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. So in this spiritual warfare there's only one weapon you need. Now, there's two types of swords that a typical soldier would use. One would be about three feet long. Uh, it, I think it's pronunciated spatha or spatha, S-P-A-T-H-A. Okay, this is a longer sword. You've seen these in different movies, I'm sure. Just a longer uh, weapon that they would use. But in this particular passage, he uses a term uh, that refers to a shorter sword called the gladius. And this is a shorter, like a dagger. It might be 18 inches long or so. And so the blades of this shorter dagger were double-edged. Some of you are thinking about a scripture verse right now. It would be needlepoint sharp. I think we have a picture of it. Yep. And so it was used for close fighting. I think that's really important for you to understand because Paul is saying there is a spiritual battle and you don't need the long sword, you need the dagger. In other words, there's going to be up close and personal fighting happening in this spiritual war. Now, church family, you've got to 
Like this is so important because if you don't understand what the sword of the spirit is and you don't understand this today, you can't ever go on offense. You'll be living your life on defense the rest of your life. Still going to heaven, yes, but never in victory. In other words, you will never experience victory in the spiritual realm unless you understand how to utilize this weapon. And Paul says, this is the weapon you need and you only need one. And it's a dagger. There's going to be up close and personal fighting. I love the brother of uh, Jesus, James. Um, Here's what James said about this up close and personal fight. Look what he says. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? This is James 4. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Now, do you catch this? I'm talking about, about the spirit, the soul, and the body. Trichotomy. I believe the kind of the three in one. That's the, but just however you fall into that, just understand that there's this spirit and there's this soul, and there's this body, and there's conflict within yourself. James says the most of the battles you face in your life are internal. And then he goes on to say, here, here's, here's an example of the fight. You desire, you don't have it, so you kill to get it. People will kill their own marriages in order to obtain the things that they, they, they desire. They desire an alternate spouse. They desire more money. They desire a certain thing. And they'll kill the relationship with their children. Do you see that? So the battle's within you, James says. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. And so you quarrel and you fight. So on and so forth and so forth. It could go on and say. All right. Paul says it this way in Galatians 5. He says, for the flesh... Desires what is contrary to the spirit, okay? So I want you to just, for, just humor me for a minute and allow the flesh to be replaced with the soul for the context we've been in this series, okay? So I want you to see this. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. Now remember, when Christ's spirit, Paul is writing to who? Come on, church. Make me happy today on this last final Sunday in this church place. Okay. Who's he writing to? Believers, right? Christians. So he's saying these are believers and the new spirit has been placed inside of them. So they have the new spirit in them. Yes? Now there's a war going on between that spirit and that soul. And that soul is not perfect, but it's on its way to perfection. It's sanctification. It's in the process of being more like Christ. That is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your will is your desires. So when you did not have Christ in you, your desires was for the world. Your desire was for money. Your desire was for power. Your desire was for all kinds of things like this. But now that Christ is in you, the spirit begins to transform the soul and the soul is no longer about the things of the world. They're about the things of the spirit. And so there's this conflict, Paul says. He says, and the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they're in conflict with each other. So they're not to do whatever you want. You're not to do whatever you want. Oh, by the way, that's for all of you above the age of 18. You are not allowed, according to Scripture, to do whatever you want. Now, what happened to you? Your soul just went, yes, it is. But the Spirit says, no, it's not. Did you feel that? Because it probably just happened to many of you. Whoa, 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 whoa. I can do what I want, say what I want, go where I want, spend what I want. Give what I want, say what I want, talk how I want. Yes, that's what the soul says. But the spirit says, no, you can't. And they're in conflict with one another. And so are you. And that's what happens when you begin grudgingly. What does the scripture say? You grudgingly give. Why? Because the soul's like, oh, I don't want to give that away. But the spirit says, yeah, 
It's better to give than receive. Right? All right, so we get this tension between the soul and the spirit. Okay. So James writes about this battle. We see it. Paul writes about it. So how do we overcome this battle when the day of evil comes? So how do you overcome your own soul when it's at battle? How many of you have ever had a demon show up to your, your front door? Like an actual demon. Okay, none of you. That's what I thought. Okay, knocking on your door. Like, hey, I'm demon. Okay. So, so maybe you've seen a demon in a child or a person. <laughs> I'm talking about, you know. All right. So most of the battle in the spiritual realm is within you. I want you to hear that. I think it's true. It's the spiritual realm, yes. But there's a lot of battle that also happens within you. And some people can be possessed by a demon or oppressed by a demon, some might say. But what you could understand this is the battle most often is within yourself. And so Paul says, you're going to need a dagger because it's going to get up close and personal. All right. So what do we do about it? All right, here's what he says. You need to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the only weapon you need. Notice the sword belongs to the Spirit, not us. Whose sword is it? It's not yours. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Spirit's sword. Here's what this helps you understand. Write this down. Human resources cannot win battles against that which is not human. It's a spiritual world, world, right? It's a spiritual war. Okay, there's a spiritual realm, heavenly realms. We've talked about that throughout the book of Ephesians. So I need you to understand, you can't have human resources to win the spiritual battle. In other words, you can't get practical to win the spiritual. You need the sword of the spirit, not the sword of the practical. If that was the case, you'd have a lot of Christians walking around with daggers and just doing this all the time. So this is the spirit's sword. Understand that. Meaning God has prescribed a way to defeat evil forces and the temptations of your very own soul. How do I defeat the temptations of my own soul? The sword of the spirit. Okay. Most people have temptations against certain things. And so they set up practical plans, but it doesn't work. Because it's a spiritual thing. Okay. Okay. Anybody in here struggle with eating healthy? I'm raising my hand. Raise your hand. Come on, everybody, unless you're just like, you don't ever struggle with the Twinkie. All right. Some of you are like, no, I don't ever struggle. Okay. And I always use Twinkie. For some reason, I'm from Texas, and I always think of Twinkies, and I have no idea why. And Little Debbie snacks. Anytime I think of junk food, I think of Little Debbie and Twinkies. That's what I, sorry, Little Debbie, but I hope that Little Debbie's not offended by that. Okay. So, so here's the point. Just so you get it, so it's understandable. And you can take this in any other way. So your soul is tempted to eat something unhealthy and not good for you. And the spirit, you know, you start to have this kind of conflict with one another. So you set up a plan, a practical plan. Oh, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to go on this nutrition plan. I'm going to drink this shake. Has anybody ever set up a healthy eating plan, a diet plan, an exercise plan, and didn't fulfill it? Look at all of you. Failure. Someone's showing. Okay, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I want you to see this. Come on, raise your hand. All right, so look around. It's just about everybody, okay? All right, here, you say, why? You ready? Seriously, and I don't have time to go into depth on this, but I want you to see this. Because it was a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. What is the first thing that Satan tempted Eve with? Food. Spiritual. So you try to approach it in the practical without adding in the spiritual. So Paul says, I want you to win against those desires. Oh, I really want that. Desire. How do I not partake in that? 
Invite the sword of the Spirit. Now just think about how many battles you would win internally if you started to use the sword of the Spirit. The reason why you're not living in victory oftentimes is because you're not using the right weapon. Okay, so he says, I want you to win in these moments. Okay, so the sword of spirit, what is it? It's the word of God. Three words used for the word, word in scripture that I want us to understand. These are not all the words that are used for word, but these are three words that I want you to understand that are used in scripture so we understand what he means by the word of God. All right, so 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now that word scripture refers to this Greek word graphe, G-R-A-P-H-E. You can write it in. It's the written word. Now you got to understand this. So when he says the word of God, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. What is he talking about? The word of God. What is the word of God? Well, first we see in scripture in 2 Timothy, there is a written word of God. This is the written word of God. All scripture All the writings in this Bible are used for correcting and teaching and training and rebuking and all of the kinds of things to produce godliness and righteousness and holiness. This is the writings of the Word of God. This is the written Word of God. Actually, physically, this. This right here. The question then becomes, is this what Paul is talking about? Is he talking about this? And some would say, yes, I'd say, no, he's not talking about this physical thing. All right, before you disagree, hear me out. Second word in scripture we see, Paul, by the way, doesn't use this Greek word graphe here. He doesn't use that word. He uses a different Greek word for word. So we see that Paul is not talking about this, by the way. All right, he's going to use a different word. The second word that some people are familiar with is the word logos. This is in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all three of those times, it's the Greek word logos. What's logos? I've defined it, and I've just taken it to help apply it so you make sense of it. Uh, the revelation of the written Word. Some would say the meaning of the Word. It's the meaning of the written Word. So there's the Word, there's the written words, but then there's the meaning of the Word. All right, so I would say to you, it's more of the revelation of the written Word. Now look at the text, though. Look at the text. In the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? Jesus. What is Jesus? The revelation of God. So I want you to see this. The revelation of the written Word. Is this God's Word? And Jesus came and he became the Word. He is the Word. So he's the revealing image of God. Amen? All right, so it's the revelation of the written Word. Jesus is called the Logos, if you would, because he is sent to reveal God to the world. So the graphe is the written Word. The Logos is the message written. Do you hear that? Yes? It's the message written. That's really important. It's not the writing in of itself. It's the message behind the writing, in the writing. Okay. It's the meaning of the message that's written. This is not the word that Paul uses here. All right, to help you understand the meaning of the message, I want you to see this. Hebrews 4.12. Now, what we're going to unpack here is, what does it mean by the revelation of the written word? Okay, this helps us understand Ephesians 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. There's the dagger. It penetrates even dividing what? Soul and spirit. It divides, which I just talked about, the soul and the spirit. 
joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So when the written word of God is read and then revealed to you, the word of God goes to work on your soul. That's why some of us don't like to read it. It doesn't always feel so good, but it is good, right? It goes to work on us. Peter says it pierces the heart of a man. It pierces the soul. In other words, when you get the new spirit placed in you and you're saved, it begins to chisel on the soul, your mind, your desires, your emotions, which means the thing that often gets in the way of God's spirit working in your lives is your very own soul. What often stops God's plans and purposes from being fulfilled in your life is your very own desire. Hence, you can't blame the devil for everything. Sometimes it's your very own desire and you just got to look inwardly. Oh, that's my own desire. That's the innate desire that I had, that sinful nature that's in me that I'm trying to shove out so I can continue to live under God's plan, plan and path in my life. Do you know, I, and this is my opinion, total opinion, the number one reason why people don't fulfill their God's calling uh, on, on earth, I think, you're going to tell you? Money. The hunger and thirst for more money. More. If you had all the money, watch this. You don't believe me. You're like, oh, I don't know about that. All right, let's put it to the test. Just consider for a minute. If you had all the money, didn't have to worry about didn't have to worry about buying nothing. Everybody good? Everybody with that? All right, just imagine. You have all the money, all your providing, all your houses, all your cars, all college tuition, weddings, everything's lined up, everything's fine. You got enough. What would you do for a living? Would you do what you're currently doing? Now watch. Some of you say yes. Some of you say no. Now if you say no, then why are you doing what you're doing? Why aren't you doing what God's telling you to do? Make sense? Okay, I'm just saying don't let, don't let the power of desire for money overcome. I'm not saying that's always the case. I just think it's a big reason why people oftentimes don't fulfill their purposes and plans because of money. Right? Their very own desires. Right? That's just a, something. Okay, let's move on. So, we goes to work on a soul, but this is not the word Paul uses to fight against evil forces. Instead, he uses the word rhema. R-H-E-M-A. Okay. All right, so he uses this Greek word, and this word means uttered by a living voice or a spoken word. So it's not the written word, it's not the meaning of the word, it's the spoken word. A couple of verses, Luke 3, 12, Luke 3, 2, we see this word. During the high, uh, high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God, that's rhema, the word of God, came to John. So what came to John? The spoken word of God, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Acts eleven sixteen, and I remembered the word. What word? The spoken word, right? The rhema, the word of the Lord, how he said. Now, what does he do? He quotes it. What did he say? Well, let me say it out loud. I'm going to say out loud what God said. John baptized with water, but you baptized the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that Jesus said that? So he recalls what the word said, and he says what the word said. And then the Greek word rhema is used there because it's the spoken word. This is the word that Paul uses when he says the sword of the Spirit. So you should be speaking God's word a lot more than you probably already do. Speaking it. Saying it. Out loud. With your mouth. That is the sword of the Spirit. It's the spoken word. All right. 
God's spoken word has the power to accomplish God's desire. That is God's will for your life, right? God's spoken word has the power to accomplish God's desire. I want you to see something in the creation of time, in the very beginning. Look what it says in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everybody agree with that? Amen. If you didn't, I didn't give you time. All right. Number two. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And you tell me what was there. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we see the spirit of God hovering over the waters. Now what is the spirit doing? Just hovering around. Does the spirit create light right then? No. The spirit's hovering. And then it goes on to say, in verse 3, and then God, what? Spoke something. And when he spoke, let there be light. The spirit went into action. Now I want you to understand how powerful this is. That means the spirit of God was ready to move once the word was spoken. Now watch. If inside of you, you have God's spirit because you're given a new spirit when you receive Christ as your savior. Amen? All right, so the new spirit comes in you, goes to work on the soul, and then you got the body that manifests whatever the soul tells the body to do. Okay, so the spirit goes to work, the soul's sitting there, they come in conflict with one another. And the spirit is waiting and hovering in your life, ready to do what God speaks. The only problem is it isn't getting spoken. And the spirit can't go to work until it's spoken because that's the weapon of which you use to fight against your very own soul. Just imagine the same spirit that created, that hovered, that went into motion the moment God's word was spoken. What I'm trying to encourage you with is the same spirit lives inside of you. That spirit waits for you to speak God's word in your life, and then he goes into action. But he's waiting for you to begin to speak it so that he can go into motion. Now, does that mean you can just speak whatever you want to? Well, Lord, in that case, here we go. Ready, Spirit? I got a couple things I want to do. No. <laughs> no. Let a Tesla fall in my driveway, you know. <laughs> you can't just speak it, name it, claim it, okay? No. No, 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 no. What you are taking a hold of is what God has already planned for your life. God's already purposed and will for your life. Was it God's intention and purpose to create? Yes. And so the Spirit says, whenever you say it, I'm ready. So the Spirit inside of you is ready to act on God's will once you're ready to surrender, submit to it, and speak to it. Yeah? All right. So Paul says this is the way you win the battle. Jesus does this in Luke 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I love that. The Spirit led him there. Thank you, Spirit. I appreciate that. Where 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of it, he was hungry. Of course he was. The devil said to him, if you are a son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. And then he speaks it. Man shall never live by bread alone. Deuteronomy 8, 3, I think it is. Okay, so he speaks God's word. Three times Satan tempts him, and each time Jesus responds back with, it is written, and then he quotes it. So he speaks it. Verse 13, when the devil had finished all the tempting, he left him, now notice this last half, until an opportune time. In other words, he keeps on swinging. 
three times it took for Jesus to get Satan out of him, you know, away from him, the temptation. Now, how many more times do you think it's going to take you speaking God's word in order to resist the temptation? It took Jesus three times. It's got to keep on, can I say stabbing? Can you stab somebody? Can I say stab them? You got to keep stabbing them. Does that make sense? Okay. So, what does this mean for believers when they face the, de- the day of evil? First, it means putting your Bible under your bed doesn't keep the monsters away. I wrote that down. That's in my notes. So you cannot put your Bible in your bedroom and say, well, the written word of God is going to protect us. Now listen, that's really important. The physical cross you put on top of your body or you wear doesn't protect you. No different than hanging a cross from your rear mirror. Doesn't help you. The physical cross doesn't help you. Paul, if he did, he would have said it's the Graphe. In that case, all I got to do is put this in my pocket and I'm protected everywhere I go. You got a phone with a Bible app all the time on you. Has that Bible app ever helped you? Just the, the app itself. The app of the Bible doesn't help you. Yeah? It, I know. I'm talking about the physical app. Yeah, I'm not saying... If you took that quote out and said, oh, he says the app doesn't help me. No, no, no. I'm saying the physical, the actual app, the digital file, this in your house doesn't protect you. No, it does not. Not when the day of evil comes. It looks good on your coffee table, and that's about it. For some of you, it's a coaster. Okay. Paul doesn't use that word. Secondly, understanding the written word doesn't ensure victory against evil forces. In other words, you can have the Bible and have all the understanding of the Bible and you still lose every single day against Satan. It doesn't matter that you have a Bible. It doesn't matter that you understand the Bible because it's not logos. No, it's rhema. Satan does not care if you have a theology degree in Scripture, and neither do I, by the way, and have memorized a thousand verses. It doesn't matter. But he does care when you use it. He cares a lot when you use the written word. Because each time you use scripture to fight off within your soul, or the day of evil comes, you stab him. Now, this all has a progression to though, doesn't it? In order to speak God's word, you have to have the word. You have to read the word and understand the word. But then use the word. There's a lot of believers and followers of Jesus today who have a word. Even understand the word. Still lose. How could that be? Because you don't use it. You don't speak it. And speak it properly. Not using it out of context, in other words. A physical sword pierces the body, but the word of God pierces the soul. A physical sword wounds and kills, but the word of God heals and gives life. We fight off Satan when we use the word of God for the situation we are in. An example, God will supply my every need. 
I'm worried about finances or whatever it is. God will supply my every need. How am I going to pay for all these kids' tuitions? God will. That was my prayer. How in the world are we going to do this? God will supply my every need. God will supply my every need. Now, how am I going to do this and leave this and go there and do that? Say it. God will supply my every need. Now imagine taking a dagger and stabbing Satan right in the gut. Wherever you want to slap him, you go ahead. Choose your body part. Now say it. Come on. Say it. God will supply my every need. Say it. God will. God will supply my every need. Amen. God will supply my every need. When you do that, all of a sudden the spirit goes, I'm ready. And the soul and the faith begins to rise. God will supply my every need. How are you going to do that? God will supply my every need. When? God will supply my every need. Well, you're still waiting. Well, God will supply my every need. You understand? This is how it works. God does care for me. I'm alone. Nobody cares about me. I have no friends. Liar. God does care for me. God does care for me. I'm depressed. God does care for me. I don't know how we're going to make it. God does care for me. God does care for me. Say it. God does care for me. God does care for me. Some of you right there, and you didn't say it, and you just lost. God does care for me. You see? Satan doesn't want you to speak it, because he loses when you do. God will give wisdom to those who ask. That's what the Bible says. I need wisdom how to solve this problem at work. I need wisdom on how to handle this. I need wisdom on how to handle that. James. James says, God is not with whole wisdom to those who ask. He loves to distribute wisdom. He loves to give wisdom. He is wisdom. And the Spirit's going, I got all the wisdom that you need. So I'm ready. What are you waiting on? God, you love to give wisdom. Now give it to me. There it is. Ask. Here's the question I want to invite you to answer today. Which word best represents your current sword? That sword that you use the most. This is what I want you to think about. Is it graphe? In other words, you have a Bible, but you rarely read it. Now, be honest. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not going to bring you up. Just, just go there with me for a minute. You have a Bible, but you rarely read it. So your current sword is what I'll say is a graphe. Okay. It's, you have the written word, but that's all you have is the written word. Does that best represent your sword that you fight with? It's there, but you rarely ever tap into it. Maybe logos. You have a Bible, you read it, but you don't speak it. You, you have the Bible, you have devotion time, you, you occasionally read it, you flipped over a couple of verses, you have a couple of scriptures in your mind that come to mind a little bit here and there. You dibble-dabble into it. Maybe for some of you, are like, oh, no, I, I study it all the time. I'm, like, deep into it. I look at all the Hebrew and Greek, and I look up all the commentaries, and I do all this, and I study, and I study, and I study, and I study, and I study. Awesome. Good for you. You have logos. You still can lose the battle. How many of you have Rhema? You have the sword that God said you need. To win the battle, Rama. You have the Bible. You read it. You know it. You understand it. You're growing in it, and you speak it often. 
I believe as a church, we've got to start to speak if we aren't speaking God's word, speaking it over our lives. Not just somehow speaking it is going to make something happen that God doesn't want. Remember, speaking God's word is coming to an alignment with his will to, pro- to produce the will that he has for your life. And so I thought today, being our last day on this location and heading into a new season as a church, that we would take up a sword. So here's what I would like us to do. I want us all to just, not just memorize it. This is not just memorizing it. That's logos or graphe. I don't want us to do that. I want us to speak it, okay? So we got to memorize it, though. we got to understand it, though. And use this word as a weapon as we head into this next season. So I'm inviting you to use this same verse that I'm using and begin to speak it over our church family. And you could take it and even apply it to your life and all aspects of your life as well. All right? Here's the sword I want you to take up and speak with. Okay? You got to memorize it, internalize it, understand it. But it fits. Ephesians 3.20. 21. It says, Now to him who is able do far more abundantly than all we can ask, think, according to the powers that work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.